Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum podcast, the horror movie podcast covering all franchises, one movie, one episode at a time, sometimes two episodes, which is what we are doing here. We are going all the way back to the beginning, and with the release of Scream 5, I refuse to call it just Scream, this coming month, we are going to revisit the first movie we ever covered. We're going to redo Scream, because if you go back and listen to that episode, I whisper a lot because I screwed up the vocals on it. So we got reviews like, why is this person whispering the whole episode? So I always wanted to redo it. And I I don't really need an excuse to talk this movie, but I don't want to talk about this movie alone. So I am bringing on two wonderful friends of the podcast today. First up, she is the head of her own grumpire. The film podcast, the film criticism site and podcast that takes an often like off the beaten path look at films. <laughs> she has built her own little empire with, with a phenomenal <laughs> team of writers. Please welcome LB to the show. Hello. How are you doing tonight? Um, well, today I have done literally nothing but oh, lay in bed. Wonderful. So yeah, it's it's a um, cold and rainy day in South Texas. So, so wonderful for the Christmas season. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty nice actually. It so. kind of is. What is it usually like? Because you are, if I remember correct, like you are like southernmost part of Texas. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can I can drive for ten minutes and be in Mexico. So excellent. That's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's so usually if, if we ever need a hot. drug mule, basically, are we? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So listeners, go to (laughs) grumpire.com, leave them an excellent review, and (laughs) who can get some cheap amoxicillin for you. Oh, fantastic. Fireworks. (laughs) I found like an old video of me at a hot water music show, speaking of Mexico, wearing like a Lucha Libra mask Mm -hmm. in the pit, just me dancing around, pogoing around. I'm like, oh. I miss those days. If I did that now, I would shatter both of my knees. So. <laughs> also, welcome back to the show. You just most recently heard him on Gremlins, and I believe we're going to be hearing a lot more of him in the coming year as we assemble a team, an Ocean's Eleven-style team uh, for our podcast. But please welcome from Dread Central and the Movies for Life pod that he co-hosts with Michelle Egan. Let's welcome Brian Kuyper back to the show. Brian, how are you? Uh, doing great. Doing great. How is it in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, well, it's always cold and rainy this time of year around here. So, uh, yeah. It's, um, and it's been the same here today. So we have the trifecta. There Excellent. we go. It's cold, rainy, and miserable. It is actually my favorite kind of weather. So, you know, what better night to talk about 
1996's Scream. So before we kind of go into the movie and dive back into to it here, a question for both of the guests. What was your like first experience with this movie? Like it turns, I think, 25 almost today. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, we are right as we record this, like right on the cusp of it turning 25 years old. And what was your first experience seeing this movie? LB, why don't you start us off? Um, well, okay, so I was, I'm a, I'm a few years younger than you guys, but mm-hmm. um, I'm still of the age for this to be like a thanks for know, reminding us we're old my, sure. <laughs> i'm still this is still the the teenage years for me mm-hmm. but um at the time i really wasn't watching a lot of horror movies you know so like i kind of missed out on the like theater going experience mm-hmm. for scream but i definitely ended up renting it later on but what's funny is what i <laughs> i don't have like a specific like memory of like oh the first time i watched scream mm-hmm. but what i do have a memory of is when the mtv movie awards parodied scream like the year that mike mm-hmm. um mike, mike myers, myers hosted yeah. mm-hmm. and they did that. they did that parody yeah um th- that's the i have that in my mind more so I, i'm sorry I, I don't, don't remember this parody <laughs> so what was the parody of scream on the mtv uh well okay so mike myers calls um you know it's it's the opening scene with drew barrymore Mm -hmm. and mike myers is like the caller the unknown caller and um so he uh gets her to say uh her favorite snl cast member who also happens to be you know michael myers Mm -hmm. so you know it's just this silly joke about that Mm -hmm. but it's pretty funny yeah, I remember that very well, actually, too. <laughs> How about is the as you like watch it on VHS and as like the uh, series progressed, like any affection for the series or did it kind of like kickstart any sort of like, you know, love for the show? Like you said, like, I wasn't watching a lot of horror then. And I feel like this was mm-hmm. a gateway for a lot of folks in their teen years in the 90s. Yeah, I can see that uh, being a gateway. I mean, uh, everyone talks about how this movie revitalized the slasher mm-hmm. genre um, and it came about at a time when a lot of us were, um, you know, uh, starting to, to watch movies on our own or like discovering uh, what types of movies that we were mm-hmm. into other than just, you know, watching family movies or, you know, that kind of thing. So, um I can definitely see this being a gateway. I can see this like, I, like I know why people love this movie a lot. Uh, like I know, I don't really, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, right. Brian, how about yourself? Uh, well, this came out um, when I was really just out of high school, so mm-hmm. I was kind of you know right there um, at sort of the target audience for this movie, I guess, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see it in the theater though. I wasn't seeing a lot of horror movies at the time um, for, you know, I don't even know why. Um, but one night, you know, the mid nineties, that's why it was, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's not a bad point right there. Yeah, like Stephen King's thinner coming soon to a theater near you. Like, oh yeah. God, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, um, my, uh, yeah, well, uh, my you mentioned you know revitalizing the genre. It actually sort of revitalized the genre for me, mm-hmm. you know, because I hadn't really been interested in a while. Um, 
you know, the, the movies that I admired had sort of played themselves out and, you know, weren't really doing much at that point. Right. And, uh, I saw it on video the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. we were going to see it in the theater, uh, one night, but it was too late. We wouldn't have made it in time to catch the opening scene. And someone said, well, what if we miss the opening scene? Is that a big deal? And someone said, yes, (laughs) Yes. you know, so, um, we're like, okay. So, so that kind of, um, was intriguing to me, honestly. So when it did come out on video, I sought it out and, and watched it with a friend of mine who sort of said, okay, you know, we're grabbing Lost Boys. We're grabbing all these movies that you missed because they're awesome and we're going to watch them together. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So, so we did all that. And, um, so Scream was one of them and, um, it was a blast and we had a lot of fun. It really did sort of revitalize my, uh, joy and admiration mm-hmm. of the genre and my adoration for Wes Craven. Um, yeah. because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I was buying Fangoria sort of in his heyday of, you know, the post Elm Street period of, you know, Shocker and um, people under the stairs. I had all those Fangorias uh, <laughs> when they first came out. So, well, I hope you're still friends with that person who's like, here is a bunch of movies you need to watch. I hope I didn't just step in and you're like, no, he was decapitated. No, he he <laughs> wasn't. Uh, he got married and we sort of lost contact oh. with each other, okay. though, to be honest. Um, and so, but hey, we, we saw a lot of great movies together. We went and saw them back in 99. We saw The Matrix. We saw The Mummy. He showed me, um, you know, uh, Event Horizon and a bunch mm-hmm. of things that he was into. And so we had a good time, you know, Excellent. back back at, back in the day. Um, Blair Witch and a few others as well. So, yeah. I know for me, like I was, it just turned 21 the year this had come out and the, I was like living in my first apartment with friends, like working full time after like dropping out of college at that point. And like every Friday night after work or like every other Friday night, like we were going to the theaters and we were all like big home theater people. Like, you know, we had the friend who had a laser disc player so we'd go and watch like the og star wars and like kick ass around sound um like we worked for like a home theater store so we were always like queuing up like um not dolby digital or dvd at that point but killer like dolby pro logic 2 demos yeah uh, at that time <laughs> we were like oh you know you can almost hear the separation in the rear in the rear channels um <laughs> And this movie like kicked my ass. I I remember seeing it either opening weekend or the one right after that and going to see it probably like three or four times in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, just really loving it and like bringing my sister to see it with some friends. And she's like a huge scaredy cat and like gets mm-hmm. really burned by jump scares. Mm-hmm. So like I remember during the Henry Winkler death scene, like when he first opens a closet, I like grabbed her leg and she screamed so loud when nothing happened that the theater just like erupted in laughter at her. Just like really. <laughs> um, and I would say like this movie, like I was already a horror fan. Um, but like I mentioned, like the mid 90s, by that point, there was not a lot of great stuff out. This completely like revitalized my love for horror and the slashers that kind of followed it like i remember seeing Mm -hmm. like most of these in theaters even though they're not like you know i still think they're a step down from the quote-unquote golden age of slashers 
they're still a lot of fun and they're still like really good, like comfort horror to me. Um, so really quick, I don't want to talk a lot about the making of this movie because we covered it pretty extensively in our first episode. And I don't want to get bogged down and that we went really deep into that. Um, I would say go back and listen to that first show because we do cover it deeply and we want the downloads. Um, <laughs> but a couple things really quick was really like this is considered like quote unquote one of the first meta horror movies but there are a few others that precede it that i would check out like there is uh psychos in love which is a late 80s kind of like almost like shot on videotape horror comedy where they reference a lot of other slasher movies of the day um that's really fun there's a movie called there's nothing out there which I believe you can find to be quite honest on YouTube, which is a group of friends that um, go away to like a cabin in the woods type of retreat. There's a Randy esque type character that's in that movie as well. And shenanigans go down and they make reference to like the rules of horror movies and how people survive it. I think at one point when they're like, we should split up one character is like, I've seen a lot of horror movies. Like we're not mm. splitting up. You know, and then there's Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which um, this movie is kind of a, a continuation of the conversation that, you know, he was having with himself when he did New Nightmare, which is like, do my movies or do violent movies cause violence in other people? Like, is it something that, you know, he was struggling with? Is it something that he was responsible for? And this is him kind of working out his feelings. Um the one thing I wanted to bring up, and I kind of want both your opinions of this, is we kind of, the weekend we're recording this, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has come out. And I haven't seen it yet. My wife's asked me not to go to the movies until after Christmas, until we come back from family holiday, which is a fair request, although I'm having a little bit of FOMO right now. Um, <laughs> a lot of conversation about our movies. Are the cinemas dead except for these giant tentpole movies. And what's interesting mm -hmm. here is this movie is programmed middle of Christmas season as counter programming to like the bigger movies, the tentpole movies and the Oscar bait that comes out. And it's also mm -hmm. given weeks to grow. Like it's one of the rare movies that the second week is bigger than the first. The third week is bigger than the second. Uh, and it plays for months and it keeps pulling in money. It's something we don't see now. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. The only example I can think of that uh, has any similarity to it at all is really pre-pandemic. So I don't know if that metric still applies, but like Knives Out, for example. I don't know. Ex that came out late in the year. I know it was sort of an Oscar Beatty kind of thing, but it really did find. An yeah. But it really did find an audience. I mean, people were like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll go see it. And it and it and it played for a really long time, as I recall. But that's the only example I can really think of that fits that at all. Yeah. And that one had like you have James Bond and Captain mm -hmm. America and Laurie Strode and, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, Tony exactly. Collette, you know, making her mean face. Um, you know, the <laughs> one expression Tony Collette has, which is like really angry and going to let you know it. Um, <laughs> that'll get me. That'll get it. Lose us some subscribers, but I said it. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Elby? 
Well, um, you know, I've been going to the movies, um, uh, I guess, semi-regularly mm-hmm. since um, everything opened back up. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in Texas, so nobody cares. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so, but, um, so there are... F- there are other movies playing, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, I, I'm, I, I get the emails from Cinemark or whatever that like say, Oh, coming soon, blah, 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 blah. And I'm usually like, what the hell is this? Cause I've never heard of it. But like, um, because it isn't one of those, you know, tentpole films or whatever, but um, <sighs> those movies though, they don't stick around. Like, uh, they really really don't like whenever there's a small movie i'm like well we need to hurry up and go see it because it's only going to mm-hmm. be playing for like a week or two yep. so i don't think there is they're not putting you know precedence on keeping a movie and letting it grow right like, it, it feels like yeah, i saw it, nightmare alley and uh west side story this weekend for uh-huh. precisely that reason oh i'm sorry like it's going to be gone you blink and you'll miss it but yeah, yeah um mm-hmm. there's uh I, I guess the the idea is that it's going to make money like on the home market right mm-hmm. that's 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 really it so that's what they're hoping mm-hmm. for but it it's partly that and it's partly i kind of wonder like if you're universal and you have peacock if you're Warner Brothers and you have HBO Max, if you're Disney and you have Disney Plus, how much of it is you almost look at it like, what if we keep all this money for ourselves and cut the distributor mm-hmm. out of the loop? Is like TVs mm-hmm. get bigger, is sound gets better and easier to do. And, you know, I I I I feel like when I'm one of those who say I love going to the movies. I love going to the movies like when it's a festival. I love going to the movie when it's an event. Um, But I don't always love like going to the movies on like a Saturday night when it's like $40 for two tickets Mm -hmm. plus snacks. Mm -hmm. Um, That's sometimes like a hard thing to kind of stomach sometimes. Like that's almost like concert tickets at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, movies are quickly getting priced to the point where it's like an experience in, I don't know, like is, you know, the next, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like, you know, it was like the 18th Marvel movie that was like, just kind of like plugging along the next piece in the puzzle. Is that really, you know, is that really an event movie is like some middling like comedy, really something that I, I would rather, go see guided by voices when they come around town and spend the the 20 bucks on that. Um, So I don't know, like I'm torn because I love going to the movies and have so many amazing memories of it, but there's something kind of nice about heading into the basement, firing up the projector. And if like, I need to like go to the bathroom, like hitting pause, running upstairs and then not missing anything. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, Sometimes when I want to replicate the movie going experience, I just have my daughter sit in front of me, fire her phone up and just like throw soda everywhere on the floor and then talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, it's just like I'm at a right now. Like, this is heaven. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't it, it's hard for movies like Scream, I think, to find their footing at this point. Like, it's it's a lot harder to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, posting that you know screenings of Nightmare Alley, for example, this weekend are being cut back from their original plan. You know, there's only one screening now, so they can make room for more showings of Spider Man. And um, I can't blame a theater owner. Yeah, for doing no, that. Yeah, absolutely. no, you can't. I mean, if they're if they've got an empty theater and no one's mm-hmm. going to see the movie, it's like, of course, we're going to do the one that's going to fill right. up. Yeah. If you have like a hundred people like clamoring to see Spider-Man and three people clamoring for night and, you know, I, I want to see it, but also like there's something about Bradley Cooper and it's not rational. I have no reason for feeling like this, but I'd rather like have a raccoon like nibble off my genitals than see a Bradley Cooper movie sometimes. <laughs> Sorry for the visual. Um, and it like is Nightmare Alley great? Like it seems like one of those things where it's like Del Toro, but it's not supernatural and it's a noir and it seems like it's fighting with itself. Yeah. You know, personally, I prefer the original, but that's me. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and I saw them too close together. So I was like, yeah. I've seen this movie uh, as visually <laughs> beautiful as it is, you know, and inventive as it is uh, visually, it's the same movie. Uh, yeah. It's the same story. So I was uh, just kind of like, I like this. <laughs> uh, whereas honestly, honestly west side story was a different kind of thing i actually thought this is really different enough from the Mm -hmm. original uh and i saw it with my daughter which we don't go to the movies much and Mm -hmm. so that was kind of like a special thing but i mean here was spielberg's take and it was like something it was purposefully i'm making this very different as possibly Mm -hmm. can than the original excellent while still being yeah true that's interesting because it seems like everyone who's seen it loves it but no one is going to see it exactly interesting yeah Um, and the only reason i'm seeing so many movies is because i have one of those passes where i can go and see as many as i want in a month for you know 20 bucks or whatever same yeah i just re-signed up for that yeah for like a dollar for the first month but now i don't know when i'm going to get to use it I wouldn't have seen Pig or Last Night in Soho or um, Spencer in the theater if it hadn't been for that pass, frankly. I mean, I would not pay full price to go see those movies because I wouldn't know what I was getting into. All this is to say, like, it was just really interesting where, like, uh, 25 years ago, it seemed like there was a lot more room for everything to breathe. And mm-hmm. yeah, audiences were less fickle and they were like like you said you have a bunch of kids that are home in school break like brian you and i were just talking like we're going to be on holiday break which is the time when like kids go to the movies uh Mm -hmm. families go to the movies like you're at home you want to escape the in-laws for a little bit you want to escape like we did a christmas movie uh, a christmas night movie every year was a tradition to go to the movies and you'd have like a ton of different choices to play from and Mm -hmm. scream being like why do a horror movie on Christmas night? It's like, because nobody else is. Yeah. That's Um, why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was perfect. And it led to, and then letting the movie kind of like, you know, like let word of mouth spread and people like finding it. And I just don't think you get to see that as much anymore. It's hard, harder for things to sneak up on us. Well, speaking of sneaking up on us, let's talk about the movie scream. And 
I'd love to hear both of your, let's start with the beginning. So, you know, Brian, you had mentioned, you know, your friends saying like, we've missed the opening segment. All right. It's not worth going to the movie because that's what really sucks you in. So, you know, I would love to get your opinions when you first saw this movie and you first saw that opening scene and drew Barrymore's like you're the helpless victim. What were your thoughts? Like, where does this rank in terms of, uh, you know, genre film or in a way to kick off like a genre film? Well, it's gotta be one of the all time openings, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just, um, it, you know, this is Craven firing on all cylinders with a team he's worked with for a long time by this point. I mean, he's got his editor and his, uh, cinematographer, people he's worked with regularly for the past several movies. So even if all those movies weren't necessarily successful, um, they are working as a team here and they really know how to work together successfully. Right. Um, and honestly, it, you know, this opening scene was one of the reasons why Craven was reluctant to do the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, when I did some research for the articles I did on Craven, uh, he was like, I, I just don't know if this is just going to mess up my karma, you know, because yeah, I know he, he's, he thought he said that mostly tongue in cheek, but it was just, um, you know, going back to the last house on the left kind of thing that he was, he had kind of shied away from since making that movie, mm-hmm. you know, um, we haven't seen a lot of gutted people in his movies uh since then um like this and to just everything that um drew barrymore has put through and to have it be you know drew barrymore sort of right as she was coming back you know and she was Mm -hmm. um sought after again it was like they can't kill drew barrymore right right so it it almost like out psychos the janet the shower scene in psycho you know Mm -hmm. It does that, and it, it, in part, like Drew Barrymore had originally signed on for the part of Sydney, and mm-hmm. then, you know, early on, like went to Wes and said, "How about instead of playing Sydney, I play Casey? You know, I play the victim, and and we don't tell anybody that like I'm going to get off right away because mm-hmm. she's like dead center in all the marketing. Like mm-hmm. she's the first face you see in the mm-hmm. poster." Um, I think that's her face, like the other screen poster where it kind of has like the huge blown up face. Like I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I'm Um, pretty sure it is, yeah. And she's gone. I mean, Janet Lee at least gets to carry like the first 45 minutes of Psycho Mm. before she's killed off. And here, like you get perhaps like on its own, the greatest like short horror film of all time, like would be perfect like it was just like cut that out um but i think the other thing why this really works and you know lb you had brought up like hey we were teenagers just sitting down and like watching movies at home and brian like you watch this movie with like a buddy at a sleepover like at the end of high school like this was a scenario like going back to what made john carpenter's halloween work like when erwin mm-hmm. yablins is like everyone's been a babysitter at some point mm-hmm. yeah Every one of this generation had rented a stack of videotapes, fired up the Jiffy Pop, and settled in for a night of movies. So we Mm -hmm. all could feel, no matter who you were, you could put yourself in Casey's shoes. I think that goes back to Kevin Williamson the most, though. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, just 
him he is a writer just being so in tune with um, how teenagers um have this like melodramatic life and putting yeah. that into the script and just it's so perfect you know like scream is so dawson's creek it is it is dawson's creek as a slasher mm-hmm. you know and it's just perfect that was like that is what i think we're all able to connect to especially at that age yeah you're right. I mean, I think Williamson's and I am not always a huge fan of his work just because no teen is that is someone who works with kids like no, <laughs> yeah. you know, teenager is that smart or self-aware. Oh, I know. Like, oh, right. I know. I know. <laughs> how, many teen- ver- how many teen- oh, I'm sorry. How many no, teenagers ahead. do you know who like say the word psychobabble like 14 times a day? You know? Oh, none. Like, like, I know. None. So. Yeah, that, that's that's sort of that's sort of my gets in my craw about this movie is when people say, "Oh, he just captured the way teenagers talk," and I was like, "I was a teenager no. during this time, and no teenager talked like that." I'm sorry. No, <laughs> but no, we I, we didn't, we didn't. But it's like this hyper reality yeah, version. It is, of, yeah. of what? So, so we're able to look at it, and I mean, it's not. Um, uh, what, what is that movie with uh, Katie Holmes? Uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle. No, no, no! Uh, disturbing behavior where she's okay. like, all, she's like trying to come up. Like it's, it's so apparent that she's, they're trying to make the word razor catch on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like she says it as this, like, oh, that's cool, razor. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not to that degree of 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 non teenager teenager, but yeah, it, it's pretty egregious. <laughs> you know, he he, what he does do, I think, is he captures the way teenagers think that they talk yeah, yeah i think okay. you're right yeah there that's you go. a good way to there put you it go. <laughs> it's it's like if you are seeing your best self if you're th- visualizing your best self that's who you think you are when you're that age like you're that smart you're that cool mm-hmm. you're that hip and it doesn't hurt when you have like a stunningly beautiful cast from top <laughs> to bottom you mm-hmm. know it is you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I look so much like Skeet Ulrich. Just like, just <laughs> the hair. Mm-hmm. Just even now. Um, I think he captures like, and to your point, LB, I think he does capture like, I do think that teenagers are capable of like a rich inner life and a rich mm-hmm. kind of inner dialogue that they don't quite have the ability to verbalize yet like they don't quite know how to Mm -hmm. take what they're like all of those roiling emotions that are going on Mm -hmm. and you know it's someone who wrote a lot of bad poetry as a teenager (laughs) um yeah the stuff was there but i just couldn't get it out the right way (laughs) yeah Um, i want to read sydney's bad poetry oh i'm sure it is (laughs) you know Dead mother, be like, yeah, mm-hmm. dead mom mm-hmm. got banged. <laughs> Where's the bloody coat? Anyway, um, <laughs> oh man, um, and I gotta say, like the the way the dialogue escalates between Casey mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, we can get into it. Like, do you think both Billy and Stu are? at her house for this opening scene. I've always chosen to believe it just because mm. I don't know how they would be able to be, you know, cover the front and back exit at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
I think it is both of them there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was probably Stu's idea. Hey, let's go get Casey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know why, right? Um, and, hmm. you know. Interesting. Why do you think it was interesting? Why do you feel it was Stu planning this? Well, because I think, you know, he they, they dated for about five seconds, like he says later. And he... Uh, He's just like, hey, we got it. Let's 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 set this thing off. Let's we got to off somebody. Let's off her, you know. Um, and Billy's like, all right, <laughs> you know, um, let's get Steve involved in here. Let's duct tape him to the chair. I'll take care of him while you're on the phone with her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Interesting. I have always worked under the assumption that Billy plans everything. Yeah. And that Stu yeah. just kind of happily goes along for the ride. Like, okay, Billy. Whatever and that's probably want. more correct. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably and, more right. And I think it'd be easy for Billy to say, like, we're going to do Casey as a trial victim because, like, she's in the middle of nowhere. And oh, by the way, didn't you used to date her? And she told everyone, like, it'd be easy to get into Stu's ear about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then maybe, like, Steve just happened to show up and they were able to, like, ambush him at that point and then use them as part of their plan. Cause I do think like when you listen to the, the, the dialogue, I think there are points where like both of them are talking to her. Like when he says, I want to see who uh, I'm looking at. Like that was a mm-hmm. slip. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that was mm-hmm. Stu screwing up. I always thought that was to freak her out. Mm-hmm. When he's was one whoever says, you know, I want to know who I'm looking at. It was, um, it was sort of the not. It was the intentional slip, yeah. and then to freak her out and to tip her off just a little bit. It's like I want to know who I'm talking to, you know, um, and yeah, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's these these are the kinds of speculations that are just fun to 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 think about you know how did they make it happen you know when is it billy when is it stew when is it both of them when when is it you know how did they get to one place why how are they covering each other's tracks you know um that is definitely part of the fun yeah you know and i think you could you know if this movie came out in 2021 i think a lot of the fun would be sucked out of it because they probably over explain it yeah, yeah like well that would happen or this is how we did it you know or here's like, the map it would be like 400 think pieces on like how, you know, everything that happened, how things and scream couldn't actually happen. So if Casey had a giant dog, do you think she would have been safe? Just <laughs> like, I hear your dog. As, as, as my dog is barking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I don't know. I, I think Kate, you know, um, the other thing too is like pre- internet pre everyone knowing mm-hmm. every bit of minutia about every movie they were a fan of um would either of you have been tripped up by the you know who was the killer in friday the 13th question given that moment of panic given the level of stress i am not afraid to admit that would have probably tripped me up as well in the moment oh that definitely would have tripped me up because i remember i remember thinking um it's jason you know that's mm-hmm. just the automatic answer right and then um you know no sorry that wasn't until the sequel yeah oh yeah i guess you're (laughs) right (laughs) yeah 
They didn't no. play fair. And I think like that question came from like Kevin Williamson hosting like horror movie trivia nights and uh-huh. saying that like if he could come up with a question that stumped everybody, they would have to buy him a round of beer. And that question always stumped everybody playing because everybody answered (laughs) you know now we take our our fandom so seriously Uh you know we can talk about like the thread count in jason's um potato sack (laughs) in part two whether it's like a 300 or a 600 thread count and you know but back then we just kind of like watched movies and enjoyed them and then put another you know as i yell at the clouds Uh here um do you guys think that um if, if it is Billy and Stu, I mean, it is, right? But, like, if it's them in the beginning and they're asking all these questions about horror movies and whatever, like, where in the rest of the movie do Billy and Stu exhibit any kind of film knowledge whatsoever to make you think that they, mm-hmm. like, would, would be so detailed in asking these questions? Stu, not so much. Billy does quite a bit though. Billy throughout. Yeah. yeah. Billy, yeah. that's his shtick throughout. Like Billy is like, you know, is watching The Exorcist and it was made for TV. And um, then he quotes lines from Psycho at the end. Yeah, right. And, you know. right, 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 and he right, knows right. Okay. like the kind of blood that was used in Carrie. So he is, yeah. Okay. Cause I'm just thinking like, are they trying purposely to set up Randy as the red herring? Oh yeah. They're you definitely they're definitely setting Randy up. They're definitely, they have so many arrows pointing it at Billy that you almost are like, there's no way he's the killer because it's so obvious that he's the killer. You could make a case and we'll talk about Tatum a little bit more later on that like a better tandem would have been like Billy and Tatum. Cause Mm -hmm. like Tatum is like spouting lines. Like I spit on your garage and you know, (laughs) some Wes Carpenter film. Yeah. Yes. Like she's got like a kind of like knowing, you know, she's the one talking about like the Richard gear gerbil story. Like she's the movie. She's the other like movie fan Mm -hmm. in the bunch Mm -hmm. too. Um, which I think, you know, makes Tatum like one of the coolest characters. Like that's why I think her death hits the worst. Like, cause mm-hmm. she's just like Rose McGowan was so good in Scream that I bought the Doom Generation on video set. <laughs> and that movie is fucking horrible. Like I couldn't even finish it. Like that movie. Oh, come on. So it you know, people are like, oh, it's so bad it's good. Like it's so bad it is fucking terrible it's what excruciating it is. yeah it is yeah. oh it's not I that seen, bad i haven't seen it so i Maybe. can't i can't it's not um, that bad i i love i love gregoraki but mm-hmm. i mean i i would rank i would rank doom generation low on the the total poll of gregoraki movies but okay maybe yeah. i'll give it a rewatch but i just remember <laughs> like 20 something year old me like being super excited for another rose mcgowan movie to watch and being like this isn't good like i couldn't even finish it (laughs) it was like the only experience i think that was is depressing was like when perry farrell from jane's addiction released that movie gift or the gift because i was really into jane's addiction when that came out and then i'm like this is awful like this doesn't make any like you know being a high schooler that had no idea about like subliminal imagery and, and, and whatnot and <laughs> metaphor i'm like this is just a movie about a junkie you know just like not <laughs> which it's perry farrell so you know yes it was um 
Do you think but there I, are any teenage, you know, like Glenn Danzig fans seeing Veronica right now thinking oh that? God. <laughs> no. No. I, possibly, but I don't want to meet them. I don't know. No, just, not so like, much. <laughs> I don't think the teens like, you know, I had this conversation with like, there's a, a kid at my school that likes no effects and bands like Days and Days. And I gave him like a, 30 band playlist of like, here's some stuff you should check out. And I'm sure he never once like listened to. I was like, all right, old man, like I'm going to take rock and roll advice from you. I'm like, great. Um, <laughs> who can blame him? Um, all right. Sorry. As we digress here. So I want to say like, I think Casey is actually one of the smartest characters in the movie. Um, she does everything right and still gets mm-hmm. got, which is one of mm-hmm. the, Say, you know, they think the only thing that I would maybe once she leaves the house is maybe get away from it a little bit quicker. But I can understand like not wanting to draw attention to yourself either. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we think of Casey and, and Drew Barrymore in particular in this role of, of, of Casey Becker and, you know, her the choices that she makes throughout this whole game? I think she's pretty perfect. Like yeah. I, I, I would love to be Casey's friend. Yeah. You know, she, she's she. Well, Tatum, of course, but like uh, Casey's one of the ones who has a lot of personality, and um, th- that's one of my complaints about Sydney. Actually, is I don't think she has very much personality. Mm-hmm. So um, that's probably done on purpose. But um, yeah, I would hang out with Casey totally. Yeah. And uh, Drew's great. I mean, really, no complaints. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that um, Drew Barrymore plays her feels very authentic, too. Mm-hmm. I, I get a real sense of um, this feels like pe- someone I would know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yeah, I, I think like you said, I mean, that first segment is like the a per- the perfect, you know, the greatest uh, short horror film ever yeah. made and that's actually how they convinced the studio to keep them let them keep going yeah. is because right. they did a rough cut of that and said this is what we have and they said yeah. okay you can finish it right exactly yeah. like yeah. I mean, you th- think about like if that is your short that you're presenting to get mm-hmm. like producers backing you to, to get mm-hmm. your money i mean like how exciting would that be to like see that and go okay yes you can have all of my mm-hmm. money yeah and the weinsteins wanted craven gone from the movie like they were getting the dailies and they didn't understand it they're like this doesn't not what we expected it's not and you know it's important like scream was like sought after like williamson sold this script and it was considered like a hot like we're gonna make some real money on this movie like it wasn't a little sleeper hit like they thought this this had sea legs to it and as craven is turning in the dailies like the Weinsteins are like, we don't get it. Like Bob Weinstein kept threatening to fire him. And I think eventually Craven cut this scene together, mm-hmm. shipped it to the Weinsteins and said, play it. And once they saw like the opening scene cut in its like near final form, they're like, oh, okay, we understand what you're going for now. Um <laughs> It's which... so strange, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, to to think that because um they went after Craven. Yeah. He kept turning him down. He turned him down three times mm-hmm. before he was finally convinced by, you know, a last house on the left fan to uh, make the movie. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. um, he, he just, um, 
and for him to be so quickly like we don't get this but the thing is craven at that time hadn't had a hit since nightmare on elm street really i mean um there were other movies that were respected i mean shocker um uh, last house serpent and, and the and, rainbow. Uh, serpent and the rainbow that's the one i was yeah. trying to think of yeah, and they uh, weren't you know, necessarily flops but they were no they weren't but they weren't huge hits they weren't right. like gigantic you know they didn't they weren't franchise starters or anything he had um, just come off a uh, vampire in brooklyn brooklyn with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and i think that one was that a that one might have done fairly well but not like mid eighties, Eddie. Murphy. It was a, considered a disappointment, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, and you know, people under the stairs and mm-hmm. um, New Nightmare were right. all kind of considered disappointments financially. New even Nightmare though it would be the flop of the like New Nightmare, I would yeah. say the closest thing because I think that made the least in box but office of it any did. Yeah. Elm Street movies. It did, which is crazy um, considering, you know, and it was one of the few that was actually really highly acclaimed critically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's interesting, you know, that Craven was so sought after as a horror auteur, but most of his movies yeah. did okay yeah. at best, you yeah. know. And that's just where slashes were mm-hmm. in the early to mid 90s. I'm like the people that grew up, you know, the 18 year olds that grew up on Friday the 13th and Halloween and a nightmare in Elm street. Like they're in their late twenties and early thirties now, like they're starting their own families. Like they're not going to movies on a Friday night. um, Like they were able to in the eighties. And that's, you see Friday the 13th, Jason goes to hell. Like your two protagonists are young adults. Like there's a young mom and dad in that movie that are carrying the movie. Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. It's a single mom that is carrying that movie. You know, mm-hmm. and then New Nightmare, like Heather Langenkamp is a wife and a mom. Like mm-hmm. you're not following like teens at a campsite or high school right. as they get hacked up. They're trying to mature. But as they're maturing, the audiences aren't going along for the ride. They're like, yes, this is not our thing anymore. Give us Silence of the Lambs. Give us, mm-hmm. you know, psychological thrillers, quote unquote. So. Yeah, and you look at, um, you know, 1995, and that's what so much of 1995 was, was psychological thrillers. There were movies, you know, like Seven Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, You know, at the beginning of 96, you had, you know, Quentin Tarantino's horror movie, right, with Mm -hmm. From Dusk Till Dawn. But there's not much else that's really of note at all for the entire year. And I looked, believe me. (laughs) We did an episode on thinner for my other show like last yeah. month yeah, I um, that, one. that came out two months before scream did and that is what's shocking to me because they could not be any different in terms of like style and substance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know if you told me they were five years apart i would have been less surprised right basically yeah, yeah. so that's yeah, why and- i think Sorry, LB, you got it. Oh, oh no, no, I was just going to say, uh, I think 95 was like the year of uh, sci-fi horror, like the mm-hmm. this, like cyberpunky type of things. You know, you, you all, all, all of those movies are, I guess, more psychological thrillers than actual mm-hmm. horror movies. But that's there what There were a I lot really of serial killer movies, too. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and like uh, when they merge too, like you have like virtuosity and you know, oh sure, yeah, stuff, stuff like that. You know, you have that kind of weird horror, yeah. and and not really, which is also like not something for teenagers. 
Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's and that's why I think the biggest the greatest legacy of this movie is how it kind of I don't I hate to say made horror cool again, but it kind of did. And it also made it cool for like the teenage crowd yeah. to fall in love with horror movies again. Um, and I don't think that's gone away since. Like, I think since yeah. this has come out, like you, even when horror has, it's like peaks and valleys, like there's always going to be at least a certain amount of people that will turn out for a movie on a Friday night. If it's a, mm-hmm. you know, horror or genre film might not be a huge smash, but you know, there's going to be people that will go for it. I wanted to ask you all about the the numerous Scream knockoffs that sure. came in the wake of, of Scream. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course, there's... Um, I know what you did last summer. Yeah, there's those. Like that, there's yeah. like, Urban you know, Legend, Urban Legend. Valentine. There are, there are all those like really, um, I guess, bigger budget ones or whatever. But then mm-hmm. like you even have more and more obscure things like um cherry falls and mm-hmm. um the clown at midnight which like is hallmark channel getting into this, mm-hmm. this genre you know uh which is crazy and then you know uh david dakota has final stab um there, there's even there's so many like just little piddly sov movies that mm-hmm. came out too so like i just wanted to get your opinion on on that like 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 what's okay well honestly if i'm being honest i ignored most of them oh yeah (laughs) yeah i i I would see um i saw i know what you did last summer i saw um urban legend and um things like that but i didn't see any of the sequels i was just like okay this is just not interesting to me Mm because i've seen scream you know and i've seen scream Two by that point too you know Mm -hmm. i honestly didn't see valentine until like a year ago and i thought wow i actually kind of slept on this one that 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 movie's kind of interesting uh that's i like that one um and then you know cherry falls which was trying to twist the twist Mm -hmm. uh which i thought was uh interesting then you know um maybe right at the way sort of tail end of the scream thing is something like um the rise of Leslie Vernon, you know, the Uh behind the mask, you know, which Uh I love. I really like that movie a lot. And, but, um, honestly, I, I think I was looking for, I was trying to look for things that because of the age I was getting to be, I was looking less at slashers and more at, um, horror that was, you know, things like the exorcist or something Mm -hmm. from a certain, era i mean i had seen those all before but i guess things more along those lines things that maybe had a look, some sophistication and weren't just right let's knock off a bunch of teenagers movies <laughs> though they, i've always found them fun yeah. you know yeah and, and scream uh, has that sophistication along it does with the, that's like, why i like off a bunch yeah. of teenagers mm-hmm. like it's a bit smarter yeah. than your typical mm-hmm. uh I saw the bulk of the very popular ones like in theaters, like definitely um, I know what you did last summer. Um, I mean, you have like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar at the peak of their TV stardom. Like I'm a huge Mm -hmm. Buffy fan. I'm like, you know, that scene with like Jennifer Love Hewitt in a tank top going, what are you waiting for? And I'm like waiting for that movie to open. Then I'm waiting for my roommates to go to bed later on. And oh, sorry, sorry, (laughs) dirty. So, I mean, my bad. I 
you know, is it a great movie? No. Is it a fun movie? Absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah. Urban Legend. Like, I love that movie. I love Alicia Witt at the end of that. Oh, sorry. Rebecca Gayhart at the end of that movie. She knows what she's doing at the end. Like, she's so fucking bananas when she does her huge reveal. And it's so much fun to watch. And I think it's a great late period slasher. Ton of great atmosphere in it. Jamie Blanks um, mm-hmm. knows how to shoot the hell out of a horror movie. Um, yeah. Valentine, I saw that. Again, theaters opening weekend. Like, David Boreanaz in a slasher movie. <sighs> as I'm, like, watching you know, every episode of Angel and Buffy every week. I'm like, yeah, like, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> Hell no. Um, are they, like, great movies? Like, by and large, no. Like, by and large, they are not phenomenal movies, but they're a lot of fun. Um, I think they don't... I think Scream's legacy suffered for years because these movies dragged it down a little bit. Like, right. it was their fault. It was Scream's fault that these movies existed. Um mm. Halloween H2O like doesn't exist if Scream isn't as successful. Right, right. Mm -hmm. right. Conversely, Halloween Resurrection also doesn't exist. So unfortunately, (laughs) you got to take the good with the bad. Um, Well, that's 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 kind of what I was getting at. You know, like um, Mm -hmm. if if Scream revitalized the slasher genre, Mm -hmm. this this massive in this massive way didn't it also like make it stagnated again (laughs) because of all of these these knockoffs so i think that bad horror movies are always there you had like the straight to blockbuster video like you could go to blockbuster or your mom and pop store Mm -hmm. and see hundreds of bad direct-to-video movies that like Mm -hmm. millions i've never heard of or thousands i've still never heard of um even though like the movies we just mentioned, they're not like phenomenal movies. They're also not without their charm. Um, I would much rather watch like, I still know what you did last summer over like saw three or hostile <laughs> two, um, or a lot of the horror that came out of like the, from 2003 to 2009. Like I would still rather watch like a late nineties, and maybe that's because it felt like maybe that was like the last time where you didn't feel like the world was going to turn to shit at every given moment. So there's a certain comfort in it. Um, I also think what came out of the tail end of those slashers is something as amazing as final destination, which is a Mm -hmm. slasher movie Mm -hmm. without a slasher villain. And I think that is the final destination is the best franchise to come out of like 2000 to 2010. It's the most consistently fun, goriest, well thought out <laughs> series of movies um, from that time period. Like even the, the one that most people don't like part four, it still has like its charms now and again. So yeah. I, like I like part four. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad one in the, the series. I just think that one's less good yeah. compared to the others. So, you know, I think that, what I think Scream did is it allowed, it gave horror like a jump start. It allowed it mm-hmm. to kind of like, you know, move on a little bit. And mm-hmm. we got a lot of like, I think a lot of smart movies on it. I think that's Craven. I think Craven, you look at the 70s and he was not solely responsible for, but he was a big um, propellant for the kind of gritty, nasty, 
reaction to America losing in Vietnam and also America being, you know, like kicking off like the, the last vestiges of like hippy dippy bullshit and seeing Mm -hmm. like the world for what it was like his seventies work is extremely angry and gritty Mm -hmm. and visceral. The eighties, you know, the slasher movies were pretty much dead. Like Friday the 13th part four was supposed to be the last movie. Um, the Halloween series had fizzled out. Like I would say you don't get Halloween four if a nightmare in Elm street isn't a huge hit. hundred like, percent. That comes mm-hmm. out in 84 and all of a sudden like, Oh wait, horror movies are cool again. And he does it again in the nineties. I don't know another genre director, even John Carpenter for as much as I love him, that not only created like a masterpiece, but created a masterpiece that like revitalized that part of the industry for three decades. I argue that if Scream 4 had been a bigger hit when it came out, mm-hmm. it would have done it again. Yeah. And so he would have had another decade under his belt to do it. Yeah. Any so, thoughts, Albie? Agree, disagree, or? I, I, I'm glad that you guys are uh, uh, able to, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> when you say like, if Scream, like, and then you said yeah. something interesting, like when Scream, mm-hmm. yes, it like was this massive success and it like mm-hmm. gave us a lot of movies, but at what cost? Like, what do you think that yeah. cost was? Oh, um, well, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's as like dire or, or drastic as, as maybe I'm making it out to sound, you know, but um, uh, I, I guess it really is like, you know, if you want to be cynical about it, you, you think of like, okay, well, this is a cash grab, like all these other movies or legends cash grab, you know? So um, like, I don't know how, how, um, how significant they actually are but um still like you're if you're able to enjoy them then you know it really doesn't matter so yeah, i th- i think there's always imitators though i mean that mm-hmm. sort of um sully the legacy of the or the first to do it a little bit you know like uh mm-hmm. you know halloween is um admittedly you know friday the 13th i should say is admittedly a rip off of halloween you know mm-hmm. and um it's a lot of fun, you know, but it's not, <laughs> it's not Halloween, you know? Um, and, uh, then there just the number of slashers that came sort of you know, from 1980, uh, to 1984, um, you know, weekly, I mean, you had uh, varying degrees of quality, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, but somehow people sort of latch on to that as sort of the golden age of, of the slasher. Even I, don't, though I don't get it. Even though there's a lot of shit in that period, you know? Um, so uh, there are a few that sort of rise to the top, but, but a lot of, a lot of those are just awful movies. Right. Uh, and I think you have the same and scream is just kind of an echo of that in a way. Uh, scream is, the well-made, well-crafted, really innovative film. Um, and and as we've seen here, not necessarily even the first of its kind, but the one that sort of crystallizes and, you know, people come around. Because, I mean, obviously Black Christmas and other things came before Halloween. Um, so 
so I think that it's sort of that flashpoint and then just by nature, so much of what comes after it is inferior. Um, but you know, I can't, I can't, I can't really fault that film that got, you know, crystallizes the moment for what came after it either. Right. If you think about Tarantino knockoffs in the same way in the 90s, Mm -hmm. there's a ton of those. Some of them are really, really great. And some of them are just like throw away, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's the the same kind of thing, you know, like you can't write them all off completely. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not trying to do that. So no, I don't see that you are trying to do that. Like Pulp Fiction is no less of a movie because eight heads in a duffel bag exist. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Um, But there were also like, even though like, I would say like a movie, like say Swimming with the Sharks or Suicide Kings, movies that take like a lot of cues from that Tarantino style of filmmaking. Like it's a B minus Tarantino knockoff movie, but it's not without its charms. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. still glad like movies like that exist. Cause sometimes yeah. it's nice to throw that on for 90 minutes. Um, and I just think that maybe this was a time period too, where you could, you know, you're looking at 96 to like 99 and, you know, I think, Brian, we talked about Gremlins. We talked about 1984 being mm-hmm. maybe the best movie year ever. Um, you know, 99 is also in that conversation. But yeah. it's a period of like not only like tremendous blockbuster filmmaking and innovations in movies, but this really huge rise in like independent movie mm-hmm. filmmaking as well. And you kind of had something for everybody. Um like everybody's tastes could kind of be, I want to say catered to, um, but you just like, you were more able, I think to find like a broader, more diverse. Well, actually that's not really true because when I say that, if you were like a white dude, you were finding like a really broad, diverse, (laughs) like movies that catered to like all the facets of my personality per se, you know? So (laughs) Kevin Smith, yeah, I, hey, I I will admit Sorry. I remember September 9th, two thousand one. My best friend at the time sitting next to me in the theater, looking over at me, clapping his hands and going, "Let the dick and fart jokes begin." As we sat down for <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh my, oh my God! How pissed off am I that Jay and Silent Bob are in Scream Three? Like, oh God, yeah. Let's making, talk about that. Oh my now. God, like. <laughs> Like, uh, okay, so Scream is now in the uh, viewerverse. Yeah, I was like, what's this thing? What? Why? Mm -hmm. No. 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 It's go back and listen to our Scream 3 episode. I argue that there's no bad Scream movies, and I've defended Scream 3 before. I think it's a fun (laughs) victory lap for Craven. Uh, and the crew to say like look what we've done it's a fun scooby it's the best live action scooby-doo movie that there is. <laughs> okay it really is the best live action scooby-doo movie well the the bar on that's kind of low so i know i know but again <laughs> you gotta take those victories while you can um you know but um yeah there are things about that movie that have aged decidedly poorly i think even back then is someone who loves the scream movies i'm kind of like okay this is 
this is a bit ridiculous, right? What Scream I, three is kind of meta beyond meta, you yeah, know, sort of sort yeah. of beyond its own good, you know. Yeah. Um, what I love the the scene that I love in Scream three is because the movie just tells you how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is um. Uh, with the fax machine where uh, they're at Parker Posey's character's mm-hmm. house and the, the script is coming out of the fax machine, like in real time. Mm-hmm. And, and they all run outside and Parker Posey's like, no, I want to know what happens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that is exactly a metaphor for watching scream to me because like, it is this situation in which I know that it's not the right choice for me sometimes where mm-hmm. I'm like, this is bad. This is a bad place for me to be. I'm not enjoying myself or, you know, whatever, but I want to know what happens. Right. <laughs> like I'm like so sucked into it. So that that's, it's, it's a perfect moment for me. It, it's, it's, I think with any movie you get diminishing returns, Mm-hmm. the longer especially when you make them like back to back to back and the original premise for scream 3 i think well i think we'll talk about this when we talk about our expectations for scream 5 like the original expectation the original idea for that movie where like Stu was going to come back as the killer and <laughs> all of the victims actually weren't dead they were faking it to lure sydney in like it sounds awesome um it really does. And then Columbine happens and the edict, like they wanted to make Scream 3 like a PG-13 movie with no blood. Ooh. And Wes Ooh. Craven is like, Ooh. it's a horror movie. It's a no. slasher movie. It's we a, can't do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a Scream movie too. And the yeah. Scream movies yeah. are brutal. I mean, the first Very two, brutal. I mean, they, I mean, like I said, I mean, he hadn't done a disemboweling mm-hmm. in a movie like this yeah. since Last House on the Left, you know, and yeah. and so, and you know, <laughs> he really and, lets it loose. In and to your screen. to your point, Brian mm-hmm. and Albie, I think this kind of ties into what you were saying. Like, I think we think a lot of those other slasher movies, like they're fairly bloodless movies. Mm-hmm. They are for mm-hmm. slasher movies, and I think Scream gets lumped in with that. And then you rewatch Scream and you're like, oh, no, this is a pretty gory, (laughs) bloody movie. And I think we sometimes forget that about the Scream movies. Like it stands apart from and it is more violent than I would Mm -hmm. say a lot of the Elm Streets, a lot of the Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, certainly more violent than most of the Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there you go. Like, I think it gets lumped in, though, with these others that are less visceral. You know, and that's one of the things about um, Craven, though. He actually shows violence as the ugly, brutal, mm-hmm. horrible thing it really is. Mm-hmm. And and for it, in a way, I mean, it, that makes it less imitable, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes it less glamorous, you know, whereas mm-hmm. if you see, you see sort of the sanitized PG-13 version of it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. mean, I'm not yeah. saying oh, that's yeah, that's what's happening, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it. But I think that there, I, I think Craven was always like, I'm going to show violence mm-hmm. horrifyingly as I possibly yeah. can, yeah. and I think that, I think that's the way it should be, personally. Yeah. Um, 
Right. You have to know yeah. that there are, there are consequences. And it, that's the theme, uh, especially in screen two, when they're talking about our, you know, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like you, you have to know that there are consequences to like, you know, stabbing someone. Yeah. Like, you know, they're not just going to get back up. This is, and I would say it's similar to what Scorsese does in his best work, where yeah. he does an incredible job of showing the allure of being a gangster, the allure of being like a high stakes, like Wall Street swindler. He's like, look at all these incredible things that are at your fingertips if you live this lifestyle. But if, what he does by the last act is he pulls the rug out from under it and shows you like this is what the lifestyle leads to look at Mm -hmm. all the ruin that it brings to the individual and every other person Mm -hmm. in their path that touches it and i think it's what Mm -hmm. people misunderstand when they talk about well scorsese glamorizes toxic you know toxic toxic lifestyles it's like Mm -hmm. no he doesn't do that he shows why people can get sucked into it Mm -hmm. um but then shows like here's the result and i think craven presents you like here's a fun slasher movie with characters you're gonna like a beautiful cast witty dialogue it's gonna look gorgeous but also you're gonna feel every character's death right like Mm -hmm. casey's mom having to hear her daughter like gurgle her death groans into the phone like you know i wasn't a parent back then but like that's it's horrifying like trying to Mm -hmm watching that now and trying to imagine something like that like as ridiculous as tatum's death is like you feel that neck fucking snap you know Mm -hmm. so and there's mm -hmm. that that argument going around about like uh pg-13 horror and Mm -hmm. um how you know people complain about pg-13 horror and uh, i think that that argument is misunderstood as Mm -hmm. a um oh these these guys just want to see tits you know like it's it's often misunderstood as that kind of thing but like um it really is when you have a rated r horror movie you see all of those things you you see the actual horror of it Mm -hmm. and that's the point you know like you're you're able to like process mature themes in that way and 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 possibly learn something from it you know Mm -hmm. and you just don't get that with pg-13 horror a lot of the time i think there can be effective pg-13 horror but Mm -hmm. i think when the violence in particular is sanitized i think it um, can be a mm-hmm. problem because, mm-hmm. you know, for the reasons I've said already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'd agree. Yeah, I think the problem with a lot of PG 13 horror is that it sanitizes mature themes mm-hmm. and it kind of presents a like everything is going to be okay attitude. It does, it tiptoes right. to the line of violence or even it doesn't have to be like the ring is a, an example of a PG 13 horror movie that is like terrifying and stays with you for a long time oh, sure. because it's not afraid to show you the consequences like of just of poor decision-making I would say mm-hmm. or of like mm-hmm. just like the consequences of neglect um, where most PG 13 movies are like, we want to titillate you a little bit, but not too right. much. We want right. to give you the suggestion of horror without actually really getting there. And it's not to say that it can't be done and be done effectively. Um, but I think you're right, LB. It's more than just like, well, you know, you only want an R-rated horror movie because you can see boobs. Because, you know, mm-hmm. 
you don't really get a lot of that in movies anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, um, Craven for a porn director didn't show a lot of tits in his no. movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, that's no. just a... Okay, that's actually a pretty good place for us to uh, pause the show right now since this conversation did run pretty long. So we'll have the second half of our conversation where we revisit the original Scream movie up later for you in just a couple short days, probably by Thursday of this week. In the meantime, if y'all are liking what you're hearing, please do us a favor. Go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Number one thing that really helps us grow, if you leave a five-star review with a few lines about what you like about the show, uh, that helps us out. It helps more people find us. It helps more people listen, which is really what we are hoping for. Go ahead and follow us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, and you can follow me at Mike underscore Sununian over on the same site. Uh, no Facebook page right now because I'm banned from Facebook after getting hacked. So that was a lot of fun to deal with. But that's a different story for a different day. We'll be back in just a couple days with our conversation on Scream uh, with Brian and Elby back in the mix. And we will see you then. Have a good one, y'all. <laughs>